0: Yesterday's reading is from Paul and it's from the book of Colossians. So chapter 1, as Mark said, on 1677, verses uh, 21 to 29. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your own minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to the present you holy in his sorry through death to present you wholly in his sight without a blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under the sun and of which i Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission of God, gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden from, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. This is the word of the Lord. Well,
1: friends, I want you to imagine this scenario. Uh, A person is sitting in church right now and they're thinking this. I've been hearing sermons for the last two weeks on making Christ known, and I remain unconvinced that I'm a person who can make Christ known. I know that we make Christ known, not first for the outsider, but for the glory of God, and I know that making Christ known is is an activity but also a response, Uh, but for me, the needle has not moved at all. It's an activity that I remain unconvinced of. Uh, I write names down on the cards at the beginning of the year, and by the end of the year, The year comes, the year goes, nothing has changed. No one has been changed through my influence. And to be honest, I'm not sure I care. I care more about growing in Christ than I do about making Christ known. Okay, so that's the scenario, right? What do you want to say to the person in that scenario? Do you want to say, Amen, I hear you? What could be a more helpful thing to say to the person in that scenario, right? Uh, that is, what's the problem that the person in this scenario faces? Uh, you could say it just seems like they're not very good at making Christ known. And think, well, it, it, that may be a problem, but that's not the chief problem here, is it? Um, yeah. The problem is deeper than that. It's not a competency problem. It's not an able-to-do-it kind of problem. It's a heart problem. It's a, there's a lack of gospel-heartedness there. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, I suspect you've been right here in this scenario. (laughs) I suspect you've been there. You know what that feels like. On the one hand, you find yourself believing in heaven and hell. On the other hand, you recognise this belief has very little effect on what you say to people that are not on the road to heaven. You just get disappointed in yourself Uh, that you don't even look for opportunities to share the hope that you have in life after death. Uh, And that's where you end up with this lack of gospel-heartedness, having something that you believe not matching something that you live out. That's what a lack of gospel-heartedness looks like. What do you do with it? well Colossians is a great place to go when you're when you've got a lack of gospel-heartedness when you're looking to grow in gospel-heartedness now before I get to Colossians I wonder whether this uh, uh, this scenario might be feel a bit familiar to you because uh, last year uh, we went through the growing in Christ tree Uh, I wonder if uh, we've got an image there of the growing in Christ tree you remember that tree um, what do you do when there's, a, there's an area in your life where you're not growing in Christ? There's some of those fruits are, are not being born, uh, or even fruits of the Spirit. You know, if you, you recognise in your life that there's a little love or joy or peace or patience or kindness, well, what if there's a lack of fruit of growing in Christ in your life? Do you remember the path to growing in Christ we discussed last year? The approach I spoke to last year was roots before fruits. Uh, That is, when there's a problem with the fruits, we go back to the roots. Uh, That is, we go to the the base of the tree and work up. Uh, So, uh, uh, faith, who am I trusting? Uh, Who am I speaking to about this lack of fruit? Um, uh, Am I letting him speak to me about it as I spend time in the word and giving the spirit an opportunity to convict me and change me? Am I struggling with this alone or am I using the gift that God has given me with the resources of the church, my brothers and sisters in Christ around me? Are they helping me as, seeking, as I seek to grow in Christ? See, see, we go to the roots before the fruits. Uh, and, of course, you'll notice on the right-hand side, gospel-heartedness is over there. And so it's the same principle. We go back to the roots and work back up to the fruits and so I've got three ways this morning for us to think through how to grow in gospel-heartedness. Uh, and this is the first. The first, firstly, I will become more gospel-hearted when I actually believe the gospel. Uh, now, following a magisterial prayer, the apostle describes the effect of the gospel like this. Have a look with me in, uh, in chapter 1 of uh, the book of Colossians that uh, was read for us. Uh, uh, by Lynn earlier Uh, so chapter 1 verse 13 for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins as a result of the gospel of Christ which you've believed your location has changed you are no longer a resident in the dominion of darkness But you are now in the kingdom of his son, Jesus, who's freed you from the weight of your sin. That location has changed. He's forgiven you. And why that matters is because of who he is. Have a look at verse 16. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So this Jesus has unparalleled authority. Every person will stand before him in his judgment, whether residing in the kingdom, uh, in the dominion of darkness or in his kingdom of the forgiven ones. That's why it matters, because he matters. And it's very clear which situation you want to be in when you come before this one with all power. I will become more gospel-hearted when I believe this, when I believe the gospel. The gospel is so beautifully summarized next in verse 21 to 23. Those key verses about uh, continuing faith. You see a very clear picture of before faith and after faith. See the before? Verse 21, once you are alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. So there's a few things there. Alienated before trusting Jesus. Before faith, you were estranged from God. You were like an illegal alien to God, estranged from him. That describes your relationship with God before faith in Jesus. The second descriptor there is that you're an enemy of your, in your mind. That is, you had a conscious antagonism towards God, which leads to the third. You were doing evil deeds because our thinking changes our, our perspective, shapes the way that we behave. Now, I know I'm speaking primarily here to those who have given their life to Jesus, those who are living for him. Uh, and I know some of you aren't in that situation, and I'm really glad you're here. I just want to let you know that, that God is not like a kindly old grandparent who will forgive all people, all things, at all times. Bear this in mind as a, 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 this reminder. Without faith in Jesus, God loves you, but you are estranged from him. You are alienated from him without faith in Jesus. And he wants to be in relationship with you through his son, Jesus. However, without faith in Jesus, you are, remain estranged from him, alienated from him. That is a dangerous place to be. And all of us were there at one point. And friends, here's the difference for the person who trusts Jesus. Have a look at verse 22. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation. That movement to faith is a movement from hostility towards God to holiness. It's quite incredible, isn't it? That's the difference that Jesus makes to your status, to your location, to where you reside. You say as a Christian, but I still have evil thoughts. I still act like I did before I had faith in Jesus. And yes, that needs to change. But independent of that, Jesus, through his sacrifice, has made you clean, holy, sanctified. That's who you are in Jesus. You read uh, uh, The Happiest Refugee by Arne Do. A few people read that. It's a great book. He's a funny guy. Uh, and uh, Arne Doe is an Australian comedian uh, and his family went on an incredible journey from war-torn Vietnam, uh, fleeing the country, uh, tiny, overcrowded boat. Uh, Arne and his family faced numerous challenges to life. Uh, and yet he and his family got to Australia uh, got to this land of peace in safety. Uh, he went from a land racked by warfare to a land of peace. Friends, there's a say, sense in which in Christ we've gone through the same movement. We've gone from a place of warfare and hostility to a place of love and peace in Jesus. In Christ we are reconciled, we are justified and we are made holy. Getting back to where we started. How do you grow in the fruit of gospel-heartedness? It starts with believing the gospel. Before you tend to the fruits of faith, tend to the roots of faith. In the language of our growing in Christ tree, that is directing us back to the roots of faith, nourished by the word of God, encouraged in the fellowship of God's people, the church. If you want to grow in gospel-mindedness, You tend to the roots. So how do I become more gospel-hearted? Firstly, by believing the gospel. Secondly, become more gospel-hearted by recognising or remembering the scope of the gospel. We take confidence from verse 23 that we are reconciled to God wholly in his sight if we continue in faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Now, the eagle-eyed among you would remember verse 23 is a really tricky part of that verse. You might have heard it as Lynn read it. Uh, This is the gospel that you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Uh, It's tricky because on first glance, it can't possibly be true, can it? Uh, That the gospel has been made known to every creature Now, we know that, the Colossians knew that, and Paul knew that. So what does he mean by it? Friends, the verse helps us understand just the sheer scale and scope of the gospel, of the, uh, the, the gospel message. I think the English Standard Version picks this up better. Uh, Colossians 1.23 says, "'Shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, "'which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, "'of which I, Paul, became a minister.'" with the emphasis being in all creation, rather than to each creature personally. Uh, that is, this is a message for everyone, excluding no one. Uh, this is important for first century people who think of the gospel as Jewish, a Jewish Jesus with a Jewish message. Rather, this message has gone from being a Jewish message to being a global message. The apostle speaks about the nature of the gospel as a mystery. Verse 26 The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. And the nature of the gospel, uh, in all that Jesus has done, he has solved a, a puzzle that has plagued humanity. Uh, see verse 27 to them God has, made, uh, has chosen to make known the, to the, among the Gentiles, the non-Jews, the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Jews were aware of this mystery, but there is a global impact in the solution of this mystery, that Jesus rose from the dead. is not just a solution for Jewish people. It's a solution to the global problem of death. No one's excluded from this solution. The scope of this message is, it is a mystery that is solved for everyone. All of the people of the world can now find a way through death to life in Jesus. And that's why we don't simply work hard at making Christ known here in Penrith. That's why... We uh, invest heavily in prayer and financial support for for local uh, gospel partners, for gospel partners overseas, because this is a message for everyone, isn't it? The scope of the solution is just endless. 27th of June in the year 2000, can you remember it? Some of you weren't here. Uh, now, uh, so American uh, Bill Clinton, American President Bill Clinton, and uh, came together with Tony Blair, you remember this, uh, to congratulate scientists on a stunning and humbling achievement, to congratulate uh, uh, to, on the, the, the decoding of the human genome. Uh, Mr Blair said this, the gro- the, this is the first great technological triumph of the 21st century uh, another said, it's like reaching the top of a mountain pass and seeing in front of you a fertile plain, rich with new ideas, new methods, new techniques, new concepts for understanding the complexity of human biology in health and disease. Now, the results of this project are, 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 are largely yet to be seen. But the mystery has been decoded. And that has proper promise for all people uh, who... all people. With the potential of suffering genetic diseases. The work of of God was a mystery until the coming of Jesus Christ. But at his resurrection, Jesus showed him to be the solution to a global problem. He found a way through life to death, uh, a way through death to life. Did you catch me there? Uh, Which is a solution for all. And that's the scope of the gospel that you proclaim. That is what you're making known, as you're making Christ known. You're making Christ known to all people. So I wonder whether you're sometimes a little bit like me. Do you sometimes meet someone and think, I cannot imagine you becoming a Christian? Do you ever go through that experience? Or is it just me? Am I just so judgmental? (laughs) Yes, okay. Um, It might be their personality, their behaviour. But it might be their entrenched attitudes. You think, oh, I, I can't see that changing. You know, um, It might be they're, that they're a different religion. It might be that they're uh, an adherent to one of the other monotheistic religions. And you think, I can't see this person leaving their religion to follow Jesus. Friends, at that point, if you're anything like me, what we need to do is start convincing ourselves of the scope of the gospel, that Jesus is actually for everyone, excluding no one, that his solution to life through death is for all people. So if you're struggling with your gospel-heartedness, remind yourself of this, that the gospel is for everyone. Okay, so gospel-heartedness, firstly, actually believe the gospel. Secondly, remember the scope of the gospel, that it's for all people. I was chatting with a Christian mate the other day uh, and he was making a case to me for not evangelising. Uh, he said, I, I don't need to evangelise. And I said, all right, why is that, mate? And he said, well, isn't that what God does? From what we've seen so far in Colossians chapter 1, He gets a great deal of support there, doesn't he? You know, remember it is God who rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Uh, It is God who brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. It's God who redeems us and forgives us in Jesus. It's God who brought about the reconciliation from our previous state of alienation from him. So so my friend has got a case, doesn't he? Isn't making Christ known what God does? Well, yes. Yes, it is what God does. Without God, no one is coming to faith. Without the powerful working of his spirit, no change at all is going to take place. So he's got a point. Then I asked my friend this question. I said, does your money in the bank come from God? He said, well, yeah, of course. I said, do you leave where that money came from to God or did you do something about it? Do you see? Uh, there's, this actually operates at at most of the levels of, of making Christ known, of growing in Christ. We, we, we have this philosophy that, that, you know, we are working and God is working, but when it comes to making Christ known, oh, no, that's only God working. Only God can do that. Uh, there, there's this odd Uh, distinction that we make between growing in christ and making him known making known is what god does growing in christ oh yeah we're we're part of that it's funny i I speak with um people a lot about reading the bible ask how reading the bible's going because it's really important it's 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 crucial Uh, this is where god shapes us and engages us uh, in his activity yet never once have i asked someone how's your bible reading going and someone said Oh, don't worry about that. God does that, right? Never once. God looks after that. And so, friends, this is the third way to become more gospel-hearted, is to recognise that in his sovereignty, God works through us taking responsibility for the gospel going out. Recognise that in God's sovereignty, he works through us taking responsibility for the gospel going out. That's where the writer of Colossians goes next. Speaking about the gospel in church, this is what the apostle says, verse 25, chapter 1, verse 25. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in all its fullness. We recognize here that that God in his sovereignty was pleased to use the apostle to share the gospel, to present the word in all its fullness. We saw it last week in Thessalonians, didn't we? we? We see it here in Colossians again. In fact, later on in the letter, the apostle is begging for prayer that he might do this more and more, that more gossip, more doors might open to the gospel. In fact, why don't you flip over have a look with me, chapter 4 of this book, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Can you see that there? Colossians 4, uh, verse 2. Uh, this is what the apostle says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Now, as I think about my my friend who was arguing for God being the one who does gospel work, I know exactly what he'd say now. He'd say, okay, okay. I know it's not just, you know, God, God works through us, uh, but he works through people like the Apostle Paul. He works through uh, God, speakers and, and people who are good at saying stuff. He speaks through missionaries and ministers, but he doesn't speak through people like me. That's what he'd say next. And I'd go with him to the very next verse. Have a look with me. Uh, chapter 4, verse 5. This is what the Apostle is directing to the church at Colossae. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. You notice that the Colossians are commanded to be gospel-hearted, aren't they? Making Christ known needs to influence the way that we look at the world around us. Uh, We're to be careful with our words because we are involved in making Christ known all the time. It's, It's... it's a walking idea in verse 5. It's walking in wisdom. That's the kind of way that just as we walk in faith and walk in the Spirit, so we, so, so we walk in wisdom towards the outsider. That's the kind of idea there. We are involved, all involved, under the sovereignty of God in making Christ known. Now, I don't know whether you like this illustration. I didn't like it, but it's actually just plagued the back of my mind over the last few weeks and so I I share it with you. Um, uh, 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 Can you remember the big showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal? You remember that? Uh, It's in 1 Kings 18 and so there was a drought and so Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal to a a sacrifice off at the top of Mount Carmel Uh, and uh, so uh, the prophets of Baal build their fire and uh, Elijah uh, builds his fire. Uh, He proposes a test. The the one who answers with fire is the true God. If Baal does it, then Baal is the true God. If Yahweh, the Lord, does it, then the Lord is God. Uh, And so they're at the top of the Mount Mount Carmel, right? The prophets of Baal, if you remember the scene, are praying fervently, beating themselves up, um, just trying everything they can think of to get the fire to come down from Baal. Nothing happens. And then Elijah, by contrast, he's he's repaired God's, uh, the Lord's altar. He's soaked the sacrifice in water, not something that you do when you're on a good fire. Uh, And what happened? God showed up. There was fire. The fire consumed the offering. The fire consumed the wood, the stones, even the water was gone. The illustration is this. Like in our evangelism, Elijah prepared the fireplace but God brought the fire. So it is without making Christ known. It's a mistake to maximise our efforts in such that, um, uh, that we are sovereign over people getting saved because we're not. But it's also a mistake to minimise our efforts, that, that God is the one who's at work. No, in his sovereignty, he's chosen, to, chosen us to present his gospel before all people. He chose us, as we saw last week, to model the response to his word. We're to walk in wisdom towards outsiders, living that response to the gospel, answering their questions about the way that we walk, bringing glory to God in the way that we answer. Elijah prepared the fireplace. I mean, God brought the fire, but he used Elijah to set that up. So friends, uh, the third way to become more gospel-hearted is to, is to recognize that in his sovereignty, God chooses to work through us taking responsibility for his gospel going out. Let me bring those things together. How do I become more gospel-hearted? Do you remember the scenario right at the beginning? Someone, the dial just hadn't moved? The problem was gospel-heartedness. How do I become more gospel-hearted? Well, firstly, I start by believing the gospel. Living out that response, moving from that place of recognizing I've moved from the place of warfare to the place of peace. And secondly, by remembering the scope of the gospel, that it is for all people, everyone, everywhere. And thirdly, recognize that in God's sovereignty, He works through us. We prepare the fireplace, He brings the fire. Now, of course, each of those realisations are really a work of the Spirit and so we need God's help. Uh, Let me lead us in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, uh, we continually ask you to fill us with the knowledge of your will through all wisdom and understanding that your Spirit gives so that we may live a life worthy of our Lord Jesus, pleasing him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in our knowledge of you, being strengthened with all power according to your glorious might so that we may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to you who's qualified us to share in the inheritance of your holy people in the kingdom of light. Uh, This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.